Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. So welcome back to our Catechism class. And we're still, with the help of our instructor, working our way through the historic statement of Christian faith, known as the Apostles' Creed. The Catechist includes it in section 2 of the Catechism, that section which deals with God's grace, with his mercy directed to sinners and saving them from their rebellion and sin through the free gift of his only begotten Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. So it's all about him. It's all about Christ. It's all about what he has done for us. The Catechist exalts him. And rightfully so, for we're taught in the Scriptures that he is exalted that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So we've reached Lord's Day 19 and question 50. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? The answer we must give is that Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. Remember, though, that this phrase, seated at the right hand of God, was introduced to us in Lord's Day 18, question 49, at the very end of our instructor's teaching on the ascension of Jesus into heaven. There he was making the point that as our brother in heaven, bearing our humanity into heaven, perfected and glorified human flesh, he was fitly suited to make intercession for us, where he is seated at God's right hand. So we see that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. But we simply can't leave this doctrine there. We're taught in Colossians 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. If we are Christian believers, we are to think upon these heavenly matters, to try to figure them out in our own minds and to explore them further. And that's just exactly what we're going to do in this episode of the podcast. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. We're taught in the Bible that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Let's read about this. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners 
spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That passage exalts Christ, speaking about how Jesus has by himself purchased our salvation, purged away all of our sins on the cross, and having finished his saving work, has sat down on the right hand of God's majesty in heaven. When we say that phrase in the Apostles' Creed, when we hear it spoken about in prayers and in sermons, what is really meant by the words, Jesus has sat down at God's right hand. As the Hebrew preacher tells us in chapter 1 and verse 3, the idea of his sitting down implies the completeness of his work. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me illustrate this to you just with a little bit of domestic bliss. My wife, Jeanette, Honestly, she never seems to sit down. She sometimes gets on my nerves. She's always busy. She likes being busy. She looks after other people and she cleans and she cooks and she tidies and she walks dogs and she always seems to be so full of energy. Sometimes, honestly, I wish she'd just sit down. But she says she can't. She wouldn't be content to sit and relax while she knew there was something that needed to be done. That's a bit unlike me. I can happily sit and relax and let the work wait until tomorrow. It's only when she knows that everything is done that needs to be done will she come and sit down and relax, for her work is complete. That's a pure illustration. For Jeanette might later think of something else that needs done and get up from her seat and go and start work again. Unlike the never-ending work of earthly priests serving at an altar where sins can never be purged away, our Lord Jesus has finished his saving work. There is no more to be done. He is eternally seated at the right hand of the Father. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 it says, This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Not only must we get to grips with why he has sat down at the Father's right hand to indicate the completeness of his work, but we need to be aware of the importance of the place where he is seated and the status which that bestows. The Bible makes much of this. The psalmist pointed to it in Psalm 110, and it's repeated through the New Testament. We are taught that Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Now that's the place of supreme honour and dignity, and the ancients would have known that. A king or a powerful man, holding a feast or a wedding or a celebration, would have reserved the seat at his right hand for his most important guest. So prized and so highly thought of was that dignified position 
that it caused a problem among the disciples, particularly among James and John. Look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 36 to verse 38. And he, Jesus, said to them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand, on the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? The place at the right hand of the head of the feast was such a place of honour that only Jesus could earn that honour given to him by his work on the cross. Colossians 1 and verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So his being seated at God's right hand is an indication of his majesty, his glory, his eternal dignity and his honour and his authority. So we've laid the foundations of this doctrine by discovering why and where Jesus is exalted. But although we affirm that his saving work is done and that nothing more can or needs to be added to it, our catechist reminds us that the exalted Christ is not idle. He tells us that he is both the head of the church and the ruler of the universe. Now let's think about those two concepts just for a moment. So Christ is seated as the head of his church. Because he is our head and we are his body, we are in that sense already in heaven. Colossians 1 and verse 18 talks about how he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. It is, as we have already discovered in our last lesson, a guarantee of future blessedness with Christ our head. But I'm intrigued by the way our catechist expresses this. He talks about Christ manifesting himself. Don't forget that our catechism was originally written in German. And one other English translation reads, Because Christ ascended to heaven to show there that he is head of his church. I wondered, why would Ursinus insist that Christ manifested himself as the head of the church? And so I looked at his own commentary, Ursinus' own commentary on the Catechism. It seems that this relates to the fact that his glory, his exaltation, his divinity, his authority, are not merely granted to him at a point in time after his ascension, but they are his by right, from everlasting to everlasting. The Hebrew author nails this. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, that God hath spoken to us in these last days by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of, the, of his power. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer of the world, and always has been. In verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew author talks about being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Philippians 2 agrees. In verse 5 to 6, Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was highly honoured and glorified with the Father from before the foundation of the world. And when he came into this world, being born as one of us in Bethlehem, he didn't cease being God. He didn't cease being divine. He simply allowed his divinity to be veiled in human flesh. A Christian writer put it like this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That's a fantastic poem. It's so full of wonderful Christian truth. Jesus came veiled in human flesh. He was our Emmanuel, God with us. But when he has sat down at God's right hand, that veil has been lifted. In his exaltation into glory, Christ's majesty and divinity is clearly seen. It has been manifested both now and in time to come, when at his name every knee shall bow. And it is essentially manifested, demonstrated in his relationship with his church, where he is worshipped and glorified and praised. Think of how that headship of the church is practically worked out. As our head, he provides his church with pastors and teachers, equipped to point them to him through his word. And he builds his church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And he prepares an eternal home for his church, a mansion in glory reserved for those who are his. And he prays for his church, his ministry of intercession, and one day he will return for his church. Let's pause and worship Jesus, our exalted Saviour. In the words of Psalm 110, verse 3 to 6, the tune is Selma, and the words are from Sing Psalms. When you display your power, your people flock to you. At dawn, arrayed in holiness, your youth will come like dew. Unchangeably the Lord, with solemn purpose, swore, Just like Melchizedek you are, a priest for evermore. The Lord's at your right hand, there he will ever stay. He on his day of wrath will crush the kings who bar his way. The nations he will judge, the dead in heaps will lie, the mighty of the earth he'll crush.
Not only is the exalted Christ ruling as head of the church, but he is ruling the universe, or more precisely, God the Father is ruling all things through him. Let's see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. Which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The Hebrew author has already affirmed this when he talked about how Christ is upholding all things by the word of his power. Paul, in that famous and important Christological passage, reminds us God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Philippians 2 and verse 9. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we boldly proclaim, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of the church and Lord of the universe, and he rules and ordains and sustains and decrees everything in it. Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. But what does the exaltation of Christ, seated in splendour, enthroned at the right hand of the Father, mean for me, personally? That's what our catechist deals with in question 51 and what we shall consider in our next lesson. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go into your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening. It's been a pleasure talking to you and an absolute privilege. I am your servant for Christ's sake.